Hey, welcome back to The Craft, where we explore what we're learning about the creative process. I'm Colby. I'm a music producer and a product manager. And I'm Carter, a writer and PhD candidate at the University of Kentucky. And today we are talking about growth. So growth for your brand as an artist. Already, I'm like, is brand the right word? (laughs) Uh, Mm. So we're going to get into a lot of those things. But the main concept today is what does healthy growth look like? Why do we grow? How do we grow? How is artistic growth different than the way in which you grow a business? A lot of different topics here we're going to try to kind of coalesce. And we mentioned this at the end of the previous episode where we introduced Dwelling, uh, my new Substack. And really, that idea has just kind of hung around. So we want to do some unpacking of that today. Can you grow without selling out? I mean, that's like the core question, I think, of this episode. Because as an artist, it's just different, man. It's different to put yourself out there and to promote something because it's like, hey, look at me, look at what I did instead of, hey, here's a brand and we're doing something that adds value to you. But is that the right way to think about it? I'm not sure. So I, before we get further, maybe can we start by just defining growth? Like what is growth and specifically what is growth for artists or creative work in some capacity? I think mostly we're talking about the size of the audience, right? I mean, that that seems to be the audience that's engaging with your work. So growing that, although there could be other kind of elements to that too, of like growing the, let's say, financial angle of the project. But at least in my mind, I just think growing the size of the audience as growth. Is that how you were approaching it? Yeah, it's actually a good thing, good question, because already the first thing that comes to mind is attention, like the high level, let's just get more people to the website or to see my art or to the gallery or whatever it is. But then there's the bottom of that funnel to use marketing speak, which is conversion and like paying for a piece of art or paying to hire you to write something or buying your book or whatever it is. And so my, sorry, my mind's going a couple different directions here because there's there's the difference between growth and marketing maybe that could be talked about. But in this context, I think we're using growth as maybe a synonym for marketing because we're basically talking about growing your audience. But I think that it's a good place to start here because I would push back on the idea that you only want to, you know, that, that we always focus on those vanity metrics, I would call it. How many likes, how many views, right? Because those don't always equate to a depth of people really experiencing your art or being so impressed with it or appreciating it so much that they would actually pull their credit card out and support you as an artist. And so there's, I think even the idea that you said is so good, which is like growth isn't just eyeballs. It's also maybe like loyalty or a fan base or how many people help support your work financially, because those are more like real building blocks. I'm going to mention him again on this episode probably later, but John Bellion talks about how there's all these artists who are blowing up on TikTok, but like they can't even fill up an arena in, you know, Michigan, for example. But on the flip side, there's artists that are not as big, but are consistently booking and selling out shows because they have a really loyal fan base. Success does not just mean how many people know about me in fame, fame basically. Yeah, that's really helpful. So to be very clear, right, we're not talking about artistic growth, i.e. you growing as an artist, you know, in your skill and capacity and mastery. We're talking about specifically growth in these kind of different ways, but primarily 
growth of an audience and a loyal audience or an audience that's bought in. And we can kind of compare and contrast that some, I think, in this episode. You know, I think in some ways it's helpful to start with the problem here. And the problem is like we have an instant repulsion to the the overly self exalter. <laughs> I don't know, there may be a better word to this, of the the self-marketing of like, I mean, I can see it right now, like on an Instagram page, right? That's got like the little taglines and this kind of shameless self-promotion. That's the better way to say it. Like we kind of understand that that's not something that we want to do. And so I think the question for me, or at least my starting point on this is how do you grow an audience without becoming a shameless self-promoter? Because it seems like, right, there is... There's things that you want to emphasize and highlight about the work that you're doing, but there's obviously something very different from the kind of self-promotion that we kind of viscerally react as icky. (laughs) And so that's really amorphous, but that's at least where I'm coming from. And it goes back to your opening question of like, what does healthy growth look like? How do we grow without selling out? I do think it's funny because I wonder, hopefully no one listens to this episode who's like, who does what you said. <laughs> but truly, I think that you hit the nail on the head. What we're trying to get at here is there's this aspect of like, that's one of the core goals that you have as an artist is to get people to experience your art. And then you might have a different goal for why. The next question is then, okay, how do I get these people? And then I think that's where we start to see all of this content online and all of this sort of uncomfortable, ah, but I'd have to be putting myself out there. There's two aspects to this. There's certain ways of marketing that you don't want to do because they seem corny or sleazy or salesy. But then the second one is you don't want to market in the first place because of uh, maybe a fear, an insecurity. What do people think about this? And I think that for me, I don't know what other people's experience is, but I, my guess is I'm not alone in that I fear it because it's more directly personal to me. Like I made a song. It's about either something I've experienced or even if it's not, I made it. And so therefore it's like my little baby and now I'm showing it to the world. And oh, what if they don't like it? What if no one listens? What if there's those hate comments on YouTube? And so that's almost what I'm, I think the two different problems here. What do you think about that? That makes a lot of sense. So on one hand, we've got the vulnerability of growth of something maybe personally that we are cautious about. And that's, you know, included in these decisions that we're making about how to grow and even why. But also, yeah, we don't want to be the guy that, you know, at the conference when he's responding to your paper, says two lines about your paper and then pivots to talk for five or six minutes about his own work, right? That's not who we want to be. It's We don't want to be the people leaving a comment and then saying, you know, it's clearly just kind of a platitude in order to direct attention towards their own work. But yeah, I, I'm in total agreement. I just want to talk for another minute or two about this. Think of a marketing funnel here, right? You have the top of funnel, which is just every single person who knows about you. And then the bottom of funnel, which is people that know about you and actually care enough to buy a book, buy a piece of art, hire you as a photographer, whatever that may be. If you have that sort of funnel as an artist, I think there's attention goal, financial goal, and then impact goal. So if you have a mission or goal with your your art that transcends, you know, money or something, if those are three three different sort of buckets, like how do you decide where to measure growth? You know what I'm saying? Like how do you define a healthy success almost? Yeah, that's really helpful. 
Colby, I'm thinking about even like the contrast between popularity and connection that you kind of made. It's like just to have the upper end of the funnel is really easy in some ways to calculate because it's just a numbers game. It's like how many people have clicked on it, how many people have liked it. But really, it seems like we're kind of drilling down into healthy growth is something that's more closely connected to maybe the fundamental essence of your art. When people are encountering it and having a connection, when there's something resonating between the viewer and your art, even to go back to Tolstoy's definition of art, right, that there's been this kind of emotional interchange, that has to be the goal, I think, right? Not just this massive amount of attention and popularity. But the funny thing is that you almost have to start with getting people's eyes on it. So, I don't know, maybe... A practical example here with with dwelling even, it's like, yeah, I want to build kind of an organic following readers that are interested in in what I have to say and not just kind of, you know, random users, which I think Substack's helpful in doing that. But before I can get that, I like people just have to see it. Like you got to get in, in front of those eyes. So I feel like one of the problems or the challenges is that you almost have to move through the top of the funnel first. Like the, you can't just like shortcut it in a lot of ways, or at least I don't know how you would do that. I agree. Audience growth is is definitely a prerequisite, but it is just worth pausing and mentioning that growth for growth's sake is not the goal. Yeah, I think that's that's well said. Growth cannot be the goal it, itself because we've seen how that has, right, that has negative repercussions because then it, it really is just about attention mongering almost in a way. Like you just want attention and you want as many eyes and the actual purpose of the art which you've gestured at. I mean, even something like I mean, the aesthetic value that we see in the beautiful that draws us to art again and again, right? That gets totally discarded in a way if the goal is to grow. Like if the if the if the goal is just growth for growth's sake, like you've you've kind of left the artistic impetus behind your work and you've just kind of substituted something else. So I think maybe first key of growth would be put growth in its place as subservient to the art itself. What you just described is excellent. So there's maybe our first principle of growth, put growth in its place. It seems to be that if you are putting the actual art first, then the growth is kind of disconnected. Like So whether everyone's reading Moby Dick or no one was reading Moby Dick, right? there's an aesthetic accomplishment there that was eventually recognized. But if growth is first then like the growth is directly related to the content. So the content starts to mirror like popularity. So I guess what I'm trying to say is another kind of negative consequence is if you start catering everything towards what's going to be the most popular, that's probably not going to have a good effect on your art, right? You're going to, I mean, it's going to start looking like other stuff. You get this monoculture of every logo looks the same because it's, ubiquitous and everyone gets it and so you almost get this kind of like group think in the art that seeps in and then you just then you've got all the articles that say the same thing because they're using the same words because most people reckon you know it's gonna lead to more monolithic general bland art really good really good it just makes me think of of like everyone's not going to be interested in dwelling that's that's something i recognize like it's not for everyone and that's fine 
but I want to grow it in a way where it's catering to an audience that's interested in it. And the 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 end goal for me for growth is not popularity end of the funnel. It's like cultivating a really solid narrow part of the funnel with people that are interested in the ideas and interested in the community there. The fundamental proposition that bigger is better is a bad heuristic and when you're thinking about growing your presence as an artist. And I think it's especially true in art in a way that even business is maybe a little different. I think it can still be true in business as well, but with art, the goal is to uplift the beautiful, to share a message that's going to be help someone through a really hard time where they're depressed or to push back on something in culture that needs to change. Like those are the kind of things that art is so great for, or just to contribute to the history of the medium that you're, you're living in. And so with there's a deeper purpose of art. That's not just build up my own name or get a bunch of money. I mean, those are not inherently bad things in and of themselves, but then they can lead to this endless pursuit of something that just is going to, you know, disappear. And so I think that that's definitely a good place to just start, put growth in its place. And the other thing that you just brought up that I'd love to kind of pivot into, if that's okay, is the stages or the progression. So there's, it kind of gets to this question of when should you focus on your growth? So that's so good. I've thought a lot about this in the marketing of businesses and, you know, companies and things like that and products. There's kind of, it's not as black and white as this, but I'm going to say product, then growth. That might be our second principle, product first, then growth. Because I think that the way that typically you work is from the top of a funnel right to the bottom where it's like, we need to get a bunch of eyes and then we can convert that into ads or make money through selling a bunch of stuff, whatever it is. That's the normal model. And that's not inherently wrong. It just means that you have to get a bunch of people. And so then it goes back to that bigger is better concept. So if you're going to take a different approach, I think that you can work from the bottom up. I, this is almost even with your Substack. Like maybe, yes, you need like some initial traction and you've been doing that and getting those numbers, but you don't need $500,000 to spend on Google ads. And you are, you're starting in the bottom of the funnel not in the sense that you're already converting and getting people to pay, but in the sense that you're focusing on the writing and the branding and what do you, what topics do you write about and just really refining the product and the product being the newsletter. And I think that's sort of when you think about, there's two different ways to build. I'll give two counter examples here to show the kind of two different worlds I'm thinking about. So in one world, you have the artist who steps away. He goes into a cabin and spends, you know, a year out in Montana writing the novel, edits it, works with the publisher, comes back, puts it out, and it either, you know, huge success or maybe it's a maybe it's a Moby Dick situation where it's, you know, posthumously famous, but it does nothing in their lifetime, whatever it may be. The product came first and then the growth later, right? So there was a big disconnect and you had to sort of invest this hard work up front and reap the rewards later. But then there is a counterexample where the growth came first. So let's say Charlie Puth has kind of famously like made some songs, quote unquote, on TikTok. Or actually, let me give another example. So there's an artist, Noah Khan, 
who's gotten more famous over the last few years. And he has talked about on an episode of Song Exploder, he's talked about how he wrote like a chorus to one of his famous songs, put it on TikTok, got a lot of positive response. And then he was sort of building the product with the audience because he would like write another section of the song and then share it and then get that feedback. So it was almost like the growth that he had already created then led to the product, which was that song being worked out and getting feedback from people and, oh, they really like this and iterating. And so even within the space of building products, there's kind of those two approaches are talked about, right? There's the Apple way, which is like total secrecy. And then they drop a whole new product like the iPad or there's the, or the Apple vision pros, or there's the product company that talks to customers. They make a really simple spreadsheet or screenshot of it and say, Hey, would this look like what you want? And then they're like, get feedback and they make a little bit of it, tweak it, but it's really simple. And there's more of an iterative approach and the growth kind of preceded the product and kind of came along with it. So that was a long-winded way of just saying, I think for the artist, the better path is the product than growth and really focusing on that. But what do you think? No, those examples are really helpful because I think I think that definitely clarifies different strategies of growth that we see. And I do agree that it's you've got to be concerned with the art first. I really do think that's that's true. You know, one of the things that Joyce distinguishes art from in his kind of aesthetic theory is that art's not marketing. So it's like marketing's trying to present something to you and get a response from the audience, and that's fine. Marketing has its place, but what Joyce says is, okay, that's good, but it's not art. And so I think there there is a place that I am I'm pulled to say, yeah, you can have great effective marketing, and that's probably going to have different rules and concerns than you working on your art, right? I mean, this is almost as simple as like understanding what genre you're working on. It's like my aesthetic design choices are going to be different if I'm trying to re- reach a broad audience for, let's say, a new product that they're going to be different if I'm trying to, I don't know, wrestle with ideas of death and longing in a photograph, right? I mean, you just have different kind of frameworks that you have to adopt. And so I think it's really helpful to distinguish like what you're working on before you develop your strategy for growth, because I think they're going to have, they're going to have to look different. And so for the art section, the art bucket, that's not marketing, right? I think you have to really have some honesty with the work in itself and almost say, you know, results be damned. I mean, it's there's there's this kind of fortitude of the artist, not saying you don't get feedback and all these sort of things, but there's the fortitude of art that is much more personal, I think, than if we're thinking about growth for a any other kind of company, I think. And I think it's not a one's good and one's bad necessarily. It's they look different. And so growth has to look different. How does that fit in? I think that's a helpful distinction just to say there's a a way of approaching your art that is not exactly the same as approaching your, your marketing. And those are sort of different phases. And that's what I think I meant by product versus growth or product than growth. Art more essentially replace product with art. Okay, yeah. Art than growth. That's probably what I should have said. But I think along with that, 
there's just the idea. So I wanted to share, I wanted to squeeze this in here somewhere that there's this great quote from a John Bellion song that I love called Let's Begin. He says, was never focused on getting bigger, just getting better. That's why I keep getting bigger after every record. And I feel like that's almost what he's talking about. Like I was focused on the product and as the product kept getting better, then that's, you know, how did I hear about John Bellion? Someone was like, hey, my sister really likes this person. You should check him out. You know, word of mouth. Like that doesn't happen unless people have a really big wow moment of like, oh, this artist yeah. is so great or this song or this book is really life-changing. That's what leads people to, that's what leads to real virality, not just some crazy video that happens to go viral, but the actual like, wow, this is really great. So therefore one person shares it with two and those two share it to two. So that's four. And then that four is eight, 16, 32. That's actual virality. It's the whole, it's called the viral, the viral quotient, right? Is how many people does each person who comes in contact with your art reach? So if that is maybe one of your hopes, then the best place to focus is your product and in the quality of your art and investing in that thing. And for me, I think what's hard about that, the reason I bring it up is because it's like, you don't get any feedback. You're not seeing a viewer count go up. You're just sitting there making another version of the same song and then maybe getting some feedback from a few people. So it's intangible. You don't know. You're writing your your novel, you're working on chapter seven and you're stuck on an idea that no one knows you're thinking through those problems. And so it's very lonely, but it could go on to be the chapter that then drives so much growth down the road, but it's not a marketing. You're not making clips on YouTube or shorts. You know, It's like deep work. So that's why I think it's actually worth mentioning this art then growth or product then growth kind of principle. Yeah. And I think that you're totally right. That can be discouraging too. Of like you pour your heart into something and then it gets, you know, a very, very small amount of people see it. And you're almost like, was that even worth it? Right. I mean, that's something that you've got to think through, but then it's, it's really, I think, gratifying and, and helpful to put a disproportionate amount of effort into the work, right? It's like you've got to be able to in some ways say, right, even if no one sees this, I want this, you know, I want to make the sacrifice to make this thing as beautiful as I can make it, right? I mean, this is kind of, again, back to Ruskin, you know, the seven lamps, his first one of sacrifice. Like, If there's not this earnest, sincere, good faith effort on your part, right, you've kind of lost the way, but it can be discouraging, right? You cannot see people, you know, it can lie in obscurity and it can be hard to remind yourself that, you know, the audience reaction and the growth reaction is not always, you know, correlated to the quality of the product all the time, right? Maybe it's correlated, but it's not causative in that you can have things that are of low quality go viral, or you can have things of great quality, you know, have crickets for long periods of time, if not forever on it. And so although there is some correlation, right, we, we've got to be able to distinguish between quality and audience or quality and growth too as we're thinking through these because otherwise I think it's going to be discouraging and it's also probably going to lead to damages in the work. Definitely. And the last thing I'll say on that note is that the one thing that has helped me over the last year on that front is the whole idea of lead metrics versus lag metrics. A lag metric being something that you're not going to see until you actually put the workout. So how many views did my video get? How many plays streams did my song get? You don't see that until afterwards. So therefore you don't have any kind of feedback as you're spending those six months working on the EP. 
But the lead metric is how many days this week did I sit down to work on my song? Or how many hours this month have I worked on my project? It's something I can control and measure week to week, day to day, month to month. That actually helps me to see, oh, you know what? I'm making progress whether than the view counts show it or not. So I think that's been very helpful. Yeah, that's really good stuff. And another thing that you reminded me of with the viral, what did you say, viral quotient? Yeah, Substack released the referral feature a couple weeks ago. And I think that's a that's a really powerful tool in that I even think about our realtor here in Lexington. We have talked him up to everyone that's looking for a house because we had such a great experience with him. And so it's like, that's not something that he sees. And that's not something that he poured money into. That was Steve doing a great job and us then taking that and referring others. Like, I think the power of referrals is a way in which growth can happen, not only in this kind of surface level popularity, but really like substantial people that are interested telling other people. And so I don't know, I think referrals may be kind of an interesting side topic here of of a way that, that growth can happen, maybe in a more healthy way or a more durable way. But yeah, that was just something I was thinking about. Yeah, the, there's a concept in marketing called the pirate framework or R, A-A-R-R-R. And it goes from, it's a funnel, one of these different ways of looking at the the journey of a customer, basically. So you have attention at the top, activation. So like when they actually sign up for something that you do or whatever it may be, joining your newsletter, whatever it is. And then I'm going to get the order of these last few wrong, but revenue, retention, how long are they sticking around as a fan, a customer, whatever, and then referral. And so the idea, I've got the order slightly wrong at the bottom, but the idea is that referral is closer to the bottom because it's something you don't do until you experience the art or the product or whatever the, the service is. And then you say, wow, that was really good. I'm going to tell people. And so that's another, just another plug for product then growth, art then growth, because you can't you know, you, you're not going to go promote that realtor until you know he got my house. He did a good job. He's ethical. He doesn't push for something whenever I was uncomfortable with it. Like those yeah. are the kind of subtle things that you wait to see. And then you, you bring him up in 10 conversations that he can't even track. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's just so much more valuable than like a billboard. You know what I mean? I mean, him having a a referral like that is so much more valuable. I think that's why podcasts as a whole are one of the most effective marketing channels now because you have sort of one to many word of mouth thing happening there where it's like, hey, I'm Tim Ferriss and I I use the eight sleep mattress pad and it's been awesome and it feels really cool at night and when I'm sleeping and you're like, wow, well, this is like a friend telling me I really trust Tim. He likes this. I'm going to go spend some money on it. But if I just saw an ad for that, it would feel a little too cold for me to trust. I need to, to learn more. Sure. And so as things are kind of crystallizing here too, there has to be a certain good faith in our growth. And so we've got to have growth in its right place. We've got to value kind of a committed following over just attention or popularity. But there also has to be, I think, just a good faith in that you know, we do need to ultimately share our work Right? We do need to be a little bit uncomfortable in saying, this is, I really enjoy this. I think you may like this that I'm working on. Right? And we have to understand that that is not always 
shameless self-promotion, but sometimes that's just what you need to do. And, and the thing that I'm kind of keep circling with that idea is that it really comes down to, are you giving this in good faith? Are you trying to just kind of sleight of hand, get your work in front of people? Because if I actually, you know, believe that, you know, based on your interest here, I think you may enjoy this product, this art that I'm working on, right? That That's a step in good faith, right? You're not just saying, oh, I, I absolutely love this. This is great. And then you could have said that to anything. And then you kind of, you know, sleight of hand, put your thing in front of them. But yeah, growth in good faith, I think, will even do some of the things that frustrate us in other contexts. Like there's a, there's a there's a context in which me handing you a manuscript is like, oh, but there's also a context where that's, you know, welcomed. I love that. And I think it's what Seth Godin, incredible marketing expert, super uh, well-respected in the space of marketing. I think he would call that permission marketing. The idea that if someone has opted in in some way to know about something, to follow something, it, let's say they've followed you on Instagram. They've said, I'm going to follow this person. That was a free choice on their part. You didn't coerce it. And so you sharing, hey, I've got a new album coming out is something that you in good faith can think, can believe that that person wants if you, you're you not just drilling them with content all the time. They've subscribed to your newsletter. You have a new article to share and you want to promote it. Or you just did a collaboration with this other brand and they did a photo shoot and you used some of your poetry and so you promote, hey, I think you might be interested in this collection of art or these photos that we created together. That is done in good faith, but it's also done with permission of the audience. And I think that that's really big. Like what are some of the sleazy things that we hate? Cold emails, you know? Not that it's like completely unethical or terrible to do that, but there's a way of, hey, I scraped your email from some tool and I'm just spamming you. And it's like, we think you'd be a great fit for this opportunity like Johnson. And then it's like, oh, that they don't even know that's your last name, not your first name. Like, it, you know, it's just <laughs> yeah. terrible content and it's totally misaligned with what you do as a person. It's obviously not well-researched. There's a difference. So maybe there's a place for cold email done tastefully, but we don't like it when we didn't give permission. And how do you know about me? Why are you reaching out to me? Like, what is that? I don't want that. Like, and that's even different than, um, like putting an ad on a billboard because we don't, you know, there's, you got permission to put it on that billboard. It's my choice to look or not. That's why we hate the fake handwriting stuff you get in the mail. <laughs> it looks like it's handwritten, but it's really printed, right? It's it's like, it's it's trying to, I mean, it in itself is saying, we know that we ought to be handwriting things and being personal, but we're just going to pretend that we are. <laughs> it's like, that's why I think we're, we're so turned off by those is because like we recognize someone who's stepping toward us in good faith and we're really prone, you know, I think rightfully to be turned off by people that are trying to simulate that or that are just ignoring that. And I do think in the long run, growth is going to be more sustainable, healthy, robust, loyal when you've got people that you're making genuine connections with. And so maybe I don't need to get thousands of thousands of people for the Substack. Maybe I need to get, you know, an audience where let's say I I actually 
can tell you about a lot of the people in the audience and what they do and, and where that connection came from. You know, they were on Austin Cleon's thing and they liked this comment that I had. And right. So that was a connection there. And so I think in the long run, that growth is going to be better. And also, it may be a lot more powerful. I mean, that gets into the referral thing, that gets into the power of that, you know, personal sharing that is a lot more durable than a quick flash of attention. So we, we've kind of breezed over like the sleazy side and that problem. And it's honestly comforting. It's like the more you can define what do I hate about marketing? Like, I don't like it when people do this. I don't like it when they say nice job and then they drop a big bunch of links <laughs> and a bunch of, you know, <laughs> stuff about their work. But essentially we've talked about the sleazy side. That was like one of the two problems we mentioned that we, we kind of feel like icky when we talk about marketing. And I think the solution to that one is do things in good faith and do it with permission. And also maybe the third thing I'd say on that would, would be like, get out of your own way, like disconnect, like who I am as a person is not what I make or what I make is not who I am. And that I feel like that's for me a really big wrestle. And I've heard that from a lot of others, artists and business, just like, I'm not my job. Like that idea of where's my identity? Where do I feel like my value comes from and not rooting that in the wrong place? Because ultimately, if if I get crickets for, for a song, it could be that it just was not my best song. Or it could be, hey, you know what? I, t- I still love this song. People don't really enjoy it, but that doesn't mean it's a bad song. I mean, truly, it was Moby Dick, right? That was basically a flop in its, in his... Herman Melville's lifetime and then one of the great American novels now. And so the just basically does not mean that your song that no one's listening to is the next great hit, but it's still just like the numbers are not everything. The analytics are not everything. Oh, that's great. I mean, I think, I think the other problem being the vulnerability of sharing. And I think you touched on that when you said, right, we've got to have a kind of distance between our art and ourselves as an artist, right? And that, that, you know, it is one of the most intimate things we do when we create art and it feels very much a part of us. But there, there does need to be some healthy distance there in order to help manage some of this vulnerability. And I think also the art itself can benefit from having a certain disconnection from us, right? I think it can help us as an artist not you know, I think it can help us create, revise, and share all those things when we kind of get a proper understanding that there's a distance between, you know, me and this work, and it gives us a freedom to, to cut and rearrange and all these sort of things, and to discard and to all these different things, I think it can help with. But especially, I think maintaining that distance is really useful in trying to overcome the vulnerability of, okay, if someone hates this, one, do I even care? <laughs> do they even care? hate it i mean is this even a comment that's that's worth you know is there hatred even in good faith <laughs> but but two you know if something flops and is terrible it's like it doesn't have to be directly about you and i think we just have to be we have to be working in our minds to make those distinctions because oftentimes i think it's just our personal approach to it that gets entangled up in some of these questions of vulnerability or at least my inclination and I, honestly, I think I haven't experienced the kind of spotlight. I have not experienced the kind of spotlight that makes those types of things hard. 
Sure. You know, I mean, it takes having a certain size of viewership or listenership or whatever to be like, oh man, I opened my Instagram and it's just a flood of hate comments. Like that doesn't happen to the majority of us. You know what I mean? So there's an aspect of like, it's not going to happen to most people. If it does, it doesn't matter. But it's interesting because you do hear the people who are so successful that, you know, A or B players that are, that still talk about how it cuts to them and it hurts. Sure. Even though they probably either avoid looking at those comments or maybe they're like three comments out of a thousand, you know? But it's like the three the three hurt more than the, the other thousand in terms of like the balance is uneven, how much we feel those things. So all that to say, like, I don't feel like I have like even experience to really yes, talk about that I totally problem. That. You know what I'm saying? But Same. I do have the experience of being putting myself out there and still being scared, even if it's just the 500 people that are going to see it. And I, I mean, even with that po- the podcast, I think that I can feel that at times. And so it's like, this podcast, this piece of art, this whatever, it's not me. It's just something that, that I did. Yeah, so we've talked about a lot of things here. We've talked about why to grow. We've talked about different types of growth, healthy versus unhealthy. Colby, maybe you could kind of ground this in some of your expertise in marketing and kind of walk us through what are some steps that people can take? What are some mental models that we should be adopting to kind of help us apply these principles in action? So I've been revisiting a book called The Personal MBA recently and just generally thinking about marketing. And The Personal MBA is a really helpful book because it's very high level overview of the different kind of roles and processes in business. And so marketing is like, he's got a chapter on marketing that's very helpful. Um, and you can look up the personalmba.com, we'll put that in the show notes. So that that's a great resource as an aside. But I would say marketing, what was so helpful in reading this summary and thinking through these things the last few weeks for me, marketing is really two things. Who is our audience and where are they? And really who is the most important because it tells you everything else. It tells you, well, this is the type of person. So this is where that type of person hangs out. This is the type of art that person enjoys. This is the time that they enjoy it. All those other who, what, when, where, why, how type of questions kind of comes back to who's your audience. And so as a marketer, I think, you know, at first that can be a question that's really hard to know because it's basically saying who likes my stuff or who would like my stuff. And that can be an intimidating question or just something you're like, oh, I don't really know. Uh, going back to our last episode where we talked about the Substack, I love the way that you're approaching dwelling by saying, well, I know there's an audience out there for the David Coggins Substack. I know there's an audience for the Austin Cleon newsletter. These different five or six examples, if I could just write content that's interesting to to that audience because I'm in that audience. So essentially it comes down to writing for myself. That's almost two different ways that you could think about who is my audience as an artist is like one, maybe you're the audience and making something that you love is probably most important as an artist in the sense that you need to enjoy it. You need to be passionate about it because it is so personal. But then two, maybe you're just emulating or you're in either a genre And so you're saying, okay, I'm making this art for people who love mixed media X, Y, Z, or who love pop music or whatever it is. And that informs who your audience is. And there's playlists for that. There's galleries, there's events, but really starting with who I think is really helpful. And then 
that takes you to the next section, which is the channels, the where. Are they are they on Facebook? Are they on TikTok? Or are they on the new Instagram threads thing? Like that is subservient or secondary to who your audience is and really getting crystal clear on that. That's really helpful because you do, I think, have to focus your efforts. And I think healthy marketing, healthy growth is definitely focused. Yeah, because the the we talk about this with the other things, but if you have, if you just start Googling how to market, you it, for like two or three years when I was starting in marketing, it just was like a swamp of information and ideas and tactics. And it's really the high level idea we talk a lot about of just how valuable mental models are that if you break things down, there's normally like the root of a tree, there's the core idea, then there's, you know, a couple branches, the two or three big things you need to be focusing on. And then those branches have smaller branches and then leaves on those. And so it's just like, there's all these different levels of detail. And at the end of the day, starting back at the root, I'd say who and where, and then the where can take you to 30 different channels. But if you start Googling stuff, you're going to see, you need to set up a Substack. You need to create a YouTube channel. You need to be on Instagram. You need to be doing this. And I think that's, you're going to get lost down a rabbit hole. It's so, you need to kind of work your way back, figure out who your audience is. And then from there, ask yourself, all right, where are they spending time? And then what inside of that medium, if it's Instagram, there's a certain way of being on Instagram that is appropriate and kind of curating your content towards that. And so we don't need to get like super practical on, you know, go create this kind of post. But like, I think that's a maybe helpful high level thing to say. It's good to be sharing your work. And then the second thing I would say is thinking in terms of stages, there's different levels of awareness essentially. So there's two or three different stages you want to take through as you're growing an audience. So first there's a level of just getting someone to be aware of your existence as an album or a newsletter or an artist or whatever your, you know, thing is that you're working on. You just need awareness of it. Awareness is where someone listens to the song or just knows that you exist or reads the thing that you created. The next step is transitional, signing up for an email newsletter, subscribing to your Substack, following you on Instagram. Some sort of permission has been given for you to contact them now. And then the third level is where someone becomes like kind of a super fan or an actual customer in marketing business speak. Like they've bought the t-shirt, they've bought the album or the vinyl or the book. And that's where you get into, you know, referring and retention. Do they come back for the next book? Do they listen to the next album? Are they still an engaged listener after three years? So thinking in terms of that user journey or funnel or whatever word you want to call it, there's different stages. So I think it's helpful to at a high level be thinking about, okay, do I need to spend more time working on the product? Like I need the album first before I can do anything else or do I need to spend time on the awareness at the top? And then do I need that intermediate step in the middle, whether that be an email list or a social account or whatever it is, some step where you're capturing the and growing an audience that you can say, I do have at a minimum like this many people that I can then go send a post to or send an email to. That's really helpful. I mean, I think all of that that you just provided, they're mental models to help direct individual tactics. I mean, that's that's the bread butter right there. Like you've got to understand the big movements and stages of the marketing before you can get into 
what you should be doing. And then also, I like how you mentioned genre conventions. Like what you're doing on Instagram is going to look different than your engagement on Twitter. You know, going to look different. And so before you get into that and get disoriented by all these different tactics, you got to have those big movements. So that was, that, was, that was immensely helpful. How would you apply those things to dwelling? Yeah, well, one of the little things I've done with dwelling is put a little call to action at the end of the last one that asks readers to share if they know someone who would enjoy it and kind of just kind of frankly says, yeah, word of mouth is going to be the best way to grow dwelling. And so I really appreciate that. And put a little share button. Uh, and so it's like this little tiny adjustment that I, I found from someone. I think I was reading someone on Substack. Substack's got a great culture of writers trying to help other writers grow audience. And so it's just this little tiny thing that I'm trying to say, I'm not asking for much, but it's giving that share button. It's just giving availability and putting that thought of like, oh yeah, you know, I have someone who would would like that. And so that's been one way that I've tried to take my little bit of awareness because awareness to me is kind of fuzzy. I'm not sure how to like really amplify awareness other than that kind of that share. And so I've tried to make that a little more tactile, a little more out in the open. So that, that was one thing. I don't know how that fits within the, the spectrum there, but that seems to be within that broader framework. It's, it's sort of both higher in the funnel, but also lower in the funnel because it's a referral thing. And so True. It, does, it doesn't always map perfectly to these frameworks, but they just are helpful generally to see, to not get lost in the hundred tactics that you could find when you start Googling stuff, basically. I feel like to summarize the episode, we had a pro- two problems and then three principles. So the two problems were personal insecurities and struggle around sharing and then sharing in a sleazy, uncomfortable way. So really just two different things that prevent us from wanting to grow or wanting to grow our audiences specifically. And then the three principles put growth in its place, product then growth or art then growth, and then share in good faith. Yeah, then we talked about the marketing tactics and kind of just the mar- or the marketing frameworks, I should say. But that was super fun, man. I love it. And I want to keep refining, you know, these thoughts. And that's, it's fun. We get to do that on the podcast. Absolutely. I enjoy this conversation. Thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby. If you like this episode, there are three things you can do to support our work. First, follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Second, share this episode with one person that you think would enjoy it. Third, let us know how we could make the podcast better or submit a question at haycraftpodcast at gmail.com. That's haycraftpodcast at gmail.com. We read each email. Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewell.work or on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.